And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Monday morning, October 2nd. Holy smokes. Late September, usually just a bunch of guys who put on 15 pounds of muscle. Guys in the best shape of their lives. Coaches who are committed to running more. This season, players who are ready to step it up in a new role. All that boring media day stuff that's going to happen today. Nay, not in the year of our basketball gods 2023. We had a mega trade last week. Damian Lillard to the Bucks. We already tackled that. It begot another mega trade. Drew Holiday. Let us all remember the Drew Holiday Portland era. It is now over. Drew Holiday plays for the Boston Celtics. That This trade may beget... Smaller little trades spreading all around. Malcolm Brogdon's still out there. Robert Williams, we'll see. James Harden has to be throwing his own little private party at a club somewhere that the Clippers, who were in it, in it to win it, did not get Drew Holiday. His preferred destination, maybe his only destination, is still out there. What a week in the NBA. And to help us sort it out, it's time with a new twist to say the three most anticipated words in niche basketball podcasting. What up, Beck? <laughs> what up, Zach? Uh, this is exciting for so many reasons, not least of which is that I don't think I've ever gotten like uh, hyperactive, almost wheezing Zach day after or hours after trade Zach. Like we usually have a nice contemplative, uh, you know, mellow, methodical discussion. I don't think I've ever gotten you right in the wake of massive news. So uh, this is fun. But as you're going through some of the pieces of this and we're thinking about where other things might spin off it it reminded me did you and bobby marks ever settle on whether these are tentacles or branches because i think it's important for this discussion tentacles tentacles just sound more dangerous and there's a lot of tentacles you don't quite know where they're gonna move no they have suction cups on them (laughs) howard beck you now work for the ringer congratulations thank you sir very happy to be there uh your your old boss my new boss uh there's a who reference in there somewhere i believe uh, very happy. Thank you. Uh, I, I got wind of this news before it broke, but I knew I knew I had to wait for Kelly Alcoin, Dollar Bill, your personal friend, apparently, to break it on Twitter. I'm not sure how you have not parlayed that into some inexplicable cameo on Billions, but you really missed the boat on that. I, apparently, uh, Bomani Jones was a better option in the sports media world because Bomani popped onto billions on the most recent episode. That was a fun, uh, fun little spot, but no, not, not yet. Apparently time is running out for me because this is the last season. Okay. Let's recap. Let's step back. Lock going on. Calm. Here is what the Portland trailblazers after not negotiating with the Miami heat at all after summer league have acquired for Damian Lillard. DeAndre Ayton, Robert Williams, Tusani Kamara, Malcolm Brogdon, three first-round picks, unprotected picks from the Celtics and Bucks in 2029 and the Warriors' top four protected pick, which has lived quite a life, that pick, has really seen a lot, seen a lot of the world, and two unprotected pick swaps from the Bucks in 2028 and 2030 when, who knows, what will be happening in the world or with the Bucks or whatever. So that's five draft assets, draft assets, six if you count Kamara. That's about what they would have gotten had they taken this theoretical heat offer at the highest level. And frankly, for all the belly aching coming out of South Florida, it's on the heat 
if you want Damian Lillard to put forth your most aggressive offer, if not from Jump Street, then from the moment you sense that perhaps this is not going great for you. And I'm not convinced they ever did that or anything close to it. And maybe Portland, and we will talk about this in this Cold War, this West Coast, East Coast feud, Northwest, Southeast. Maybe Portland was being a little, you know, a little mean, a little cold, whatever. But I, there's no denying that they came out well here, that their bet on a everybody, every contender, give us your best stuff for a guy who could swing the championship race was going to net them more than Tyler Hero. And I think there's deals to be made for Brogdon and Williams if they so choose. They now have these two centers. We'll see how that works in Aiton and Williams. Maybe they get a sixth, a seventh draft asset out of this. And oh, by the way, their best draft assets are going to be their own picks. That's the Portland angle. You with me? Okay. Whew. Yeah. The Celtics in... Seldom do you see a team that has had as much deep playoff success, not not two wins short of where they want to get, and then a step back, a round back last year. Seldom do you see a team with that much success overhaul its roster in one offseason to the degree that the Celtics have. In the aggregate, and we're going to fudge this a little bit to focus on players that were in rotations a year ago. Out. In the aggregate, so far, Marcus Smart, out. Robert Williams, out. Malcolm Brogdon, out. Grant Williams, out. Don't forget about Grant Williams, particularly when we're talking about the Bucs. That's four dudes who were in your rotation last year. Well, Grant Williams, in and out. Reasons that I've never understood. I'm sick of talking about it. Four guys out. We'll ignore the, the flotsam and jetsam around it. In come two rotation players. Drew Holiday. And Kristaps Porzingis. So four to two, you've got draft assets moving around. The team looks totally different, feels totally different. And I think as I sat back, when I heard what the price for Drew Holiday was going to be, that it was probably going to be two draft assets, including one unprotected one, a, a starting level center who have long been intrigued by, although I'm not sure he was probably not going to start this year for the Celtics. And Brogdon, who it, it, it always... For as good as he is, we have yet to see a team that is really amped up about the idea of keeping Malcolm Brogdon on their team for a long period of time, from Milwaukee to Indiana to Boston. Now this, um, he was sixth man of the year. Like he's one of the best shooters in the NBA last year. He shot 44% or something ridiculous from three. That's a lot out the door for two guys in the door. When I first heard that price, I thought, whew, that's, that's a lot. And I think for Boston, this was not an easy decision. They love Robert Williams. They know the value of that unprotected pick, even though their their two main players are still young. Um, they know the salary crunch that is coming with four mega salaries potentially on the books. Drew Holiday will want an extension, or or, or will sign a new contract in free agency this summer, one one or the other. It will be for a lot of money. Um, and yet, the more I look at it, the more I like all of this for Boston. I, I think they have the best top six in the NBA now, better than the Bucks top six. The depth is what it is. We'll talk about that. But the reaction I got from non-involved parties in the wake of the trade suggested slash confirmed that as things stand now, Boston and Milwaukee are set up for an unbelievable showdown if they're healthy at some point in the playoffs. You never know how the seating is going to work. But Philly, I mean, 
this all reached its crescendo with Joel Embiid essentially tweeting, hey, what a fun offseason. The subtext of that is not going great for my team. We're not involved really in much of anything. And by the way, just reported on ESPN, James Harden can't be bothered to go to the media day. Not sure what the uh, what the social scene is like in Fort Collins, Colorado. Apparently not up to his like. It's a lot to ask, Howard. It's a lot to ask to be paid $35 million and show up and answer a couple questions. It's a lot. I, I look, I I understand I understand. Take sleep in, sleep in your own bed. It's just a lot. It's a lot. Uh I got I got texts from a couple of I'll say nonpartisan front office executives who don't really care how any of this unfolded that that were of the vein of this is what I worried about for the Bucks when they made the Lillard trade that Boston would come in and get Drew Holiday and that the Bucks may and this is this is their words not mine may have inadvertently helped their biggest rival more than they realized they did and maybe more than they helped themselves. Now that's the part that is a bridge a little too far for me, but that's what I heard. I heard from a what I would say a, a couple of front office executives from good Eastern Conference teams. And the um the texts that I received in the immediate wake of the trade were two and three words long to the tone of, well, f- us. Or oof, this sucks. Um and boy oh boy, would that matchup be interesting. I have talked a lot, Howard Beck. Um, what a, what a week in the NBA. Where would you like to start? How do you want to start where, how do you like the new look Celtics? How the hell this unfolded between Portland and Miami who comes away having watched not only themselves, not get Damian Lillard, but as I just said, everyone around them trading with the Blazers, the team that would not even take their calls to improve themselves. And the heat meanwhile have lost Max Schroes, lost Gabe Vincent. They get some people back like Tyler hero, for instance, for, from injury, but boy, oh boy. Woo. Man. Uh, what an off season. What a five, six day stretch, whatever it was. Never a dull moment. Um, man, there are so many things to unpack here and so many different ways to go, but I, let's, let's just stick with the East for a minute here. Um, Miami and Philly both are just, uh, they're just, are they caught flat footed? Are they stuck in the mud? Are they just... Did they play their hands badly? Whatever, you, however you want to view it, Miami and Philly, which should have been or at one point were theoretically in the mix of contenders atop the East with Milwaukee and Boston, have just both slipped considerably. Um, you mentioned Miami losing two starters from their finals team, and I think probably all summer they weren't aggressive. They weren't aggressively keeping them, and they weren't aggressively replacing them because they always assumed probably they were getting Dame Lillard. Like that, if you, to read between the lines of all the messaging coming out over the last couple of months, messaging that at times got quite strident, sanctimonious, borderline, it sounded like Miami absolutely expected, certainly their fans and some other people, uh, absolutely expected, no question, Damian Lillard was going to end up there. And that seems like the way that the Heat operated as well. So now they are down a couple of starters, didn't get Dame. And as you point out, Milwaukee and Boston, their rivals atop the East, both got stronger. And the Sixers are sitting there still in their, having their stare down with James Harden, who is now, as you mentioned, not at media day. I had heard two different, <laughs> two different things last week. I had somebody tell me, oh, there's no way uh, Harden's showing up. He's absolutely sitting out. And this was, this was like somebody who was not connected, but from a, from a little distance said, 
James Harden's not going to be there, that somebody else said, oh, no, he is going to show up and he's going to just raise hell. He's going to throw everything out on the table. He's going to put everybody's business out there. He's going to embarrass people. I'm uh, Look, either one was plausible, believable, given James Harden's uh, recent history, including the ugly exit from Houston. And maybe we'll still see an ugly exit from Philly if that exit ever happens. But um, there's it's just carnage <laughs> everywhere. Uh, and at the end of it, at the well, there is no end of it. The Heat are, or excuse me, the Sixers are eventually going to make a move with Harden and maybe it'll improve them, maybe. And the Heat, I don't know what the Heat are going to do, Zach. Uh, so now we have an undisputed two-way race atop the East. And yeah, 24 hours ago, I would have said the Bucks are clear favorites. And now, not clear. Um, I like it. What's not to like? I think, let's, let's start with Boston and the Drew Holiday fit in Boston. The Celtics now have, have six starters. I'm not even sure what their starting five is going to be. It could be big with Horford and Porzingis and probably, I would guess, Derek White coming off the bench. I wouldn't, like, slam the door shut on the idea that Drew Holiday might come off the bench here and there, but given his salary and the trade, and I'm sure they talked through these kinds of things, I would pe- pencil yeah. him in as a starter. Um, White, Tatum, Brown, Horford, Porzingis, Holiday, hell of a top six. Everyone's going to point to the depth, and the depth will be tested. This is a big bet by the Celtics on a couple of people. Peyton Pritchard, who was unhappy all of last season, wanted out of Boston for parts of last season, didn't get out of Boston, now has to play. This is going to sound silly. The Celtics love Luke Cornett. As a regular season player, at least. As a regular season, this guy can play 15 minutes a game for us if we need him to. If Al's got to sit out because he's old, sit out here and there, we, he can play 22 minutes a game, and we're cool with it. And then they've got the Brissettes and Housers and Jordan Walsh, the guy they just drafted. It's going to be tested. But in the playoffs, you win with your six to seven best guys. And by the way, they still have nine million second-round picks. I expect them to use those second-round picks to go out maybe sooner rather than later and try to get another rotation big man. And I'm not going to throw out names because it's too early, but I have some names in mind. Uh, they just signed Wendy and Gabriel yesterday. You can, you know, sop up some minutes here and there. Um, I, I, The more I thought about it, the more I just loved the Drew Holiday fit on their team. Not only as a guy who is, it, we all know he's an elite defensive player. Um, everyone is going to point to what he did to Damian Lillard and the Blazers in the 2018 playoffs where the Pelicans swept Portland, humiliated Portland, where Drew Holiday for two weeks transformed into like Michael Jordan crossed with Kawhi Leonard, crossed with, I don't know, some kind of superhero and totally, I mean, enveloped, destroyed, erased Damian Lillard. That's cool. That was six years ago. Like, we'll see if if, if this matchup comes comes to four if, if he can do that again. He hasn't he's a career 33% three-point shooter in the playoffs. That's kind of shocking considering in the last three years he has settled into a very good three-point shooter with a step back three that is now a legit weapon. He's hit 40%, 38%, numbers like that. He hasn't hit above 32% in the playoffs. Now some of these are like three games, five games, whatever, since 2012. 
Like Marcus Smart has been a better postseason shooter and sometimes a better postseason decision maker than Drew Holiday. That said, I'm with the Celtics in betting on his current regular season shooting track record, his defensive versatility to at least approximate or equal, equal what Marcus Smart gave you. Uh, I think he's a better shooter than Marcus Smart, and that will show up eventually. And in Milwaukee, a lot of Drew Holiday's decision-making going haywire incidents, and that happened too often in the playoffs. I just think when Chris Middleton was injured or on the bench, Giannis is not a traditional, like, give him the ball and let him cook from the perimeter number one option. He can do that. It's just not... It's just not what he does all the time. He's best used as he's going to be used now as a screen and roll guy, occasional post-up guy, transition guy, transition just obliterating people. I think Drew at times was overtaxed as like, oh crap, Chris is hurt or Chris is back and he's not playing that well. And like they're clogging the half court on Giannis. Like I kind of have to be the number one ball handler guy for a bit here. That should never happen with the Celtics. And given the versatility of those top six guys, how they can spread the floor with Porzingis at the five, I would put Boston a little bit ahead of Milwaukee, a little bit ahead of Milwaukee. And they've both hurt themselves a little bit. Like we talked last week about how Milwaukee has hurt its perimeter defense. Like who do they have to guard Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? Well, the Celtics are going to have to answer the question of who do we have to guard Giannis Antetokounmpo um, with Grant Williams out the door and Al Horford getting older. Um, I also, you know, the, the counter by Bucks fans, and this is a good counter, it's one I made, was their defense should be really good so long as Giannis and Brooke Lopez, two of the 10 best defense players in the league last year, are on the floor. I think that's a reasonable bet when the upside is getting Damian Lillard, a one-man top five offense, a one-man top five half-court offense for a team that has not been able to score enough in the half-court, that has not had like a roadmap that they could count on to score in the half-court. My only my only caveat is like Brook Lopez is old. The the drop off is going to come sometime. If it comes this year, that whole structure begins to wobble. I would put Boston today a hair ahead of Milwaukee as favorites in the East. But boy, would I like to see these teams go head to head. I think I like Boston's versatility a little bit better too. One of the interesting things, Zach, um, if you turn that back the clock to July. Was it, was it July when the Porzingis smart three-way deal happened? Um, I, I think that was June. Was it June? Draft, no, no, it was June. Draft. I think it was June. Yeah. yeah. At that moment, I thought, wow, bold move, Brad Stevens. You are tearing the heart and soul of not just your defense, but your locker room in a lot of ways and Marcus Smart out to make this, this uh, gamble on Kristaps Porzingis, who's just had uh, possibly his best season as an NBA player. And he's got an injury history. You have to see about fit and all this other stuff. And, you know, we have all these intangible things going on that you cannot possibly, uh, you cannot game out. You don't know how it affects chemistry. You don't know how it affects certain dynamics of your team. And the two basic boxes that Marcus Smart checks, and again, there's a bunch of intangibles that go with this too. Every personality is different in a locker room. But Marcus Smart... Okay, uh, hugely important for defense, hugely important for leadership. Well, Drew Holiday checks both those boxes. Again, he's not Marcus Smart. But in June, when they make that deal and all the risks that go with it, you can't know that a couple months later you were going to have the opportunity to get Drew Holiday. So in a way, the one thing that they had to trade off or sacrifice to get Porzingis 
and and try to create this this uh, this new identity offensively and defensively for that lineup. The one thing they sacrificed, they've now recouped in a way that we could not have foreseen. Uh, great work by Brad Stevens at, at both ends of it and bold. I mean, you pointed it out, Zach, the changes from the rotation. I was looking at this through the lens of just the 2022 finals in minutes. It went Tatum, Brown, Smart. So there's a third highest minutes guy in the 2022 finals. Smart's out. Then it goes Horford, White, Robert Williams, Grant Williams. So the uh, third, sixth, and seventh guys in minutes in the 2022 finals are, are out in just a, a, a year plus. That's that's bold. That's risky. And there's two ways to view a, a you know, I want to say a young team because there are, there is some age in, in places there, but a team that has been a perennial contender at the minimum conference finalist that's broken through, that's made the finals. You could say, look, we just need a couple things to break our way. We just need tweaks, and we'll we'll let this thing play out. Give how them about, long how enough. How about like if Steph Curry hadn't played maybe the greatest game of his career in <laughs> yes. Game Four of the NBA Finals, we might have already won it. Yes, and 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 if that had been the case, no matter what happened last season, you probably still hold it together because you think, oh man, these guys still deserve more time. And it's not like they blew it up, right? The the core of the team is Tatum and Brown. And, you know, Tatum Brown, Horford, whatever, and some, you know, whatever. The rest of it is is fungible to an extent. Uh, but Smart was part of that. Smart was absolutely part of that core, had grown up with those guys. So in a very short time to have decided to to make this major pivot is significant because there's a good argument to be made the other direction. And, and to have made a decision as an organization, this is this just isn't going to get us there. And they had to, to pay full freight in, in draft picks and players to do it. And they had to do it because... There was a frothy um, competition for Drew Holiday. It's too early at 10 o'clock in the morning for me to have sussed out or even like gotten anywhere close to like who exactly offered what and when. As I've said before, I hate reconstructing trades that didn't happen because then everyone has an agenda to sort of so, mu- fudge. so much spin. So and, much and also spin. just also just like multiple members of the same front office, different members of the same front office may have different memories of what conversation happened when and how and with who. Uh, But I can tell you this, the Clippers were in it. That's the biggest what if to me, maybe they're counting on Brogdon. Maybe they're counting on Harden coming cheaper. I don't know. The heat were in it. I don't know what the heat's offer was. I don't know how deep they were in it, but I can confirm after a cold war, they talked the heat and the blazers picked up the phone. They talked. Utah was in it. I'm not sure they were on like the final, final Drew Holiday list because they're just not going to be good enough. And I like that Utah was in it because Utah has so many picks from so many different places that they have the luxury of saying, you know what? We can get a really good player, really good role model for our young guys who also clears up what is kind of a cluster, you know what, of random guards all put together and have so much stuff left over. Why not? Why not? Because we don't need to tank necessarily as hard as some other rebuilding teams. Because at some point, we may get lucky with a Minnesota pick or a Cleveland pick or a Lakers pick that hits toward the top of the draft. I liked it. Indiana poked around. I mentioned them. Um, I don't think they got particularly far. New York poked around. Not sure how far they got. Um, and so Boston had, had to really show up with real stuff. And I also think the Celtics probably felt pressure of, well, Milwaukee went all in. Phoenix has traded everything to go all in. Even Denver, 
who's done it piecemeal and not in any huge landmark trades, has traded lots and lots of stuff to get current shots at the draft, to get like right now shots at seconds that they like, at low first that they like. And I think that Boston looked at it and said, "Boy, we're are we clutching? Are we clutching our stuff a little too preciously? Like, do we need to do we need to go go a little further?" And to your point, you know, the concern about the Smart Porzingis trade was less for me, like the heart and soul. He's the heart and soul of the team, and more like they were able to play a certain style of defense because of how switchable Marcus Smart is at the point of attack. Hell, Marcus Smart dabbled in guarding Giannis as the primary defender now and then when the Bucks and Celtics played. Grant Williams got the bulk of that, and Al Horford and Grant Williams, I would say, kind of shared the bulk of that. But the Celtics would dabble in Marcus Smart. Drew Holiday guards up about as well as any guard in the entire league. And so you reclaim some of that stylistic identity. And hell, if and when these two teams play, the question of who guards Giannis other than Al Horford, who's old and you don't want to overtax him, it's going to have to be a bunch of dudes, and it might have to be Drew now and then, although you want Drew on Damian Lillard. I would look at a guy like Jalen Brown, who, again, has dabbled as the primary defender on Giannis now and then, not one the Celtics have like loved compared to Grant Williams and Marcus Smart, but those dudes are gone. And, like This is what winning a championship is. You're going to have to do stuff that's uncomfortable. Boy, I look at all those other teams. I would love to know what the Clippers offered in the end, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes. Um, the Clippers, who at one point in June seemingly had Malcolm Brogdon to fill uh, whatever uh, gap they believe they have at, at point guard. And then that trade was negated by concerns over Brogdon's health. Uh, then it was James Harden, except the Sixers and Clippers have never, may never come to terms. We'll see if the, the market conditions have changed pretty significantly. Um and now the Clippers shut out on, on Drew Holiday. I, I wonder if the Sixers are breathing a sigh of relief on that note, Zach. Like, I know the, the, the Sixers have not seen anything they really wanted in terms of the right deal from the Clippers. But if the Clippers got closed off by acquiring Holiday, I, like, where are the Sixers turning? Um, like, I don't think there's, to, to use a term you used earlier, which is one of my favorites, frothy. There's not exactly a very frothy market for an aging, uh, perpetually discontented James Harden right now, and one who clearly is expecting, after this contract runs out, to get another massive, massive, if not max-ish deal. Um, so there's not a lot of ways for Philly to play this. It, like At least when it was Daryl Morey holding fast on Ben Simmons a couple years back, there was at least still the the uh, illusion or 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 a memory, recent memory of Ben Simmons being a really important, great player, an all def a defensive player of the year candidate, all defensive player, very really versatile, all these things, big point guard. It's not gone well for Ben Simmons since then. But at the time that that the Sixers held fast on that one, there was I think a, a decent market for Ben Simmons, especially given his age too. James Harden is is not that. You know, James Harden's more accomplished, but James Harden has got a lot more years on him and now is asked out of three teams in like five minutes. So uh, I, I like if there's of all the, the the things to wonder about on this October morning as media days uh, kick off in a little bit. I'm, I'm really curious how this plays out for the Sixers, especially with James Harden not showing up. Are they fighting him? 
Um, is, is, does he have permission while they're working out something? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess no. Uh, well, and, and it goes almost without saying at this point that we can sit here and talk about James Harden and what could be a long standoff between the Sixers and the Clippers with the Sixers praying that the Clippers start slowly out of the gate in, in increasing their leverage. And by the way, I think the Clippers, I think the Clippers want to do something, whether it ends up, they clearly want to do something. Every guard that comes down the pike, they look at and, and, and debate. And I think they have a sense of not like, like we, like, I'm not sure we can get there anymore with this current core. Like the league has maybe passed us by is a little strong. The best teams have maybe passed us by. Maybe that's a little strong. The ability to win four playoff series has probably passed us by. Maybe 2021 when they made the conference finals and Kawhi got hurt in the middle of the Utah series in the second round. Maybe that was our best window. Because not only have our guys, our main two guys, gotten older in the interim and gotten hurt in the interim. Some of our support guys have have like fallen out of the rotation. Marcus Morris and Robert Covington. Yeah, Terrence Mann has risen up and Kenyon Martin Jr. will help. Bones Highland might help, but like, you know, we'll see how much those guys actually other than Mann who's proven to me and I think is probably better. I I hold Mann in higher esteem than I think most of the league does other than the Clippers. Um they want to do something. Common sense would t- this is just my common sense. I think if the Clippers put both their unprotected future first-round picks that they can trade into this deal for Drew Holiday, I think they might have gotten Drew Holiday, or at least we would have heard a lot more of like it's coming down to the Clippers and the Celtics, and it's like down to the wire. My I, my pure educated guess at this point, I'm hoping to learn more, is that they tried to protect at least one of those picks, and maybe that's why they don't have Drew Holiday. But that's just that's just my guess. Um, Another thing about this from the Celtics perspective, Robert Williams, really good player, incredible defensive player, more skilled on offense, I think, than people give him credit for. He's a good instinctual passer from the elbows. They used to run those little, occasionally you'd get, they'd get to a split action with him and he'd, he'd hold the ball and two guards would screen for each other. He'd make the right pass. He's a good passer, like in kind of chaos situations, offensive rebounds, short rolls. He's about to turn 26 and he's injured a lot. And I think the Celtics look at this as like, there's a world where he stays healthy and it all clicks for him. And he's put in a situation where his skills can really, really sing. Like we haven't seen the Celtics lean into Robert Williams as a real hub of their offense. That world exists somewhere. If that world comes to fruition, they gave up a lot, like more than they even think they did. There's a lot of other worlds where this is just kind of who Robert Williams is. His player type, rim running center without a jump shot, does not tend to age super duper well. Again, he's about to turn 26, he's not 29. And it's kind of hard to imagine Robert Williams gets to a team that is both good and like leans all the way into like, oh, here's the full breadth of his skill set on offense. And if that's the case, then I think you can kind of correctly calculate, look, we love Robert Williams. We hate giving him up. The dude we're getting is so good. And if we're smart with our resources, we can kind of finagle the backup big market well enough as we go 
provided we keep Porzingis. Now, the question for the Celtics is, they're over the second apron this year. Next year, if Drew Holiday signs a new deal with them, let's just ballpark $40 million as a starting salary. By the way, Drew Holiday's agent, Jason Glushon, has had like half the Boston Celtics over the last two years. Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. Also has campaign who signed with the Bucs in a deal that could be important for the Bucs. They would have for their top six next year, they'd be at over 180 to $185 million. <laughs> approaching the second apron with six guys. That's the year before Tatum's new deal kicks in. Once Tatum's new deal kicks in, Drew, Porzingis, Brown, Tatum, by themselves would be like $185 million. That's not sustainable. That's also the last year, 25-26 of Porzingis' current deal, I believe. Um, those are all decisions you can kind of kick the can on for now, but that's the financial reality the Celtics are in. I think it was a bet worth making. Um, I just th- these two teams have done have done well. The Bucks do have to have some pangs. I'm so excited they are about Dame. The minute they made that trade, you knew they feared. Boy, if Drew ends up coming back to haunt us, that's really gonna suck. I think underscoring a lot of this um, when it comes to both the Bucks and the Celtics, Zach, and they're on different timelines, right? Like Giannis is still you know firmly in his prime, but has an aging cast around him. The Celtics core of, of Tatum and Brown is, is younger. But in both cases, and we've seen, and this is, I think, applies to the Clippers too. We are in a time of, I think, mandatory short-term thinking if you have a, if you are a, a contender or contenderish and if you have a window, because the combination of these new rules with the second apron and all the restrictions and all the things you lose, all the re- flexibility you lose to keep building out your roster. I mean, we've been moving along this, this spectrum for the last five, 10 years anyway where teams do not think in 10-year spans anymore or five to seven-year spans. You think in three to five-year spans. And now I feel like it's almost like a two to three-year span. And so what the Bucks and Celtics are doing in both cases, you mentioned kicking the can. In both cases, you are saying, like, I'm sending out future assets. I'm sending out picks. I'm mortgaging the future because you can't even think about the future. Um, and part of it, too, is who you have. You, uh, you've heard me say this before because we've talked about this with regard to LeBron and Steph. When you have a generational player at any stage, but especially you know in his prime or late prime, you have to be all in at all times. And the Bucks felt the extra pressure of Giannis making some comments uh, first to, to Tanya Ganguly at the New York Times. And, and then I think, what was it on a podcast um, of Giannis putting on the pressure? By the way, quick aside here. There was a lot of the, oh, uh, look, you know, Giannis really played it right. They went and went out and, and, and got Dan. I'm just going to say, I think if if John Horst and the Bucks organization uh, had an opportunity to get Dame with or without Giannis making comments to anybody, they probably would have gone and done it because they understand the thing that I just said better than I do because they do this for a living. You're always on the clock in today's NBA. And if you have a player like Giannis, a generational talent, you have to be all in at all times and screw the future. And so the the Bucks have just taken that tack in the Dame trade. The Celtics, as you just laid out, Zach, have, have taken that. The Clippers have to. And the Clippers, it's 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 the most interesting um version of this in some respects because they've gotten no payoff at all for the Paul George Kawhi Leonard era. And they're still sitting there with extensions desired by both of those stars. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'd want to do that, although someone else suggested to me very strongly a few days ago, like, of course, they're going to extend them. You can't, no matter what the 
uh, injury history is, no matter what the consequences is, no, uh, have been, no matter how much we're all sitting here going like, oh, these guys are, are going to get hurt again. And then what happens? You can't go through this same play over and over and over again. They're going to bring them back because they need them because, because you can't easily replace them. Okay. I'm in a good mood this morning. Let me let me push back on the notion. Three seventy five percent seriously, twenty five percent. Eh, feel like being nice today. That the Clippers have not gotten anything for the massive Shea Gilgis Alexander plus, and I know you're being, I know you're you exaggerating a little bit when you say I have not gotten yeah. anything. No, no, no. For the for the whole rigmarole that they went. I, I should just point out, I'm, I'm I'm the guy who has said maybe even on your podcast and certainly on on other podcasts within the last year. I would. I think the Clippers should have no regret whatsoever about what they did in 2019 to get those two guys because it completely changed always and forever the image of the Clippers. It put them on the map in a much more serious way than they'd ever been. Stars never wanted to go to the Clippers. The Clippers were a running joke. I know Chris Paul, Blake Griffin have a lot to do with changing the image, but the Clippers had never had a haul like that. Uh, it was worth it regardless. But yeah, to the extent that they have not had the postseason success and those guys are always hurt. All right, uh, your turn. If you had told me on July whatever, the day after the literal literal earthquake when they acquired those two guys, there was literally an earthquake in Las Vegas, that they would win three playoff series over the next four NBA seasons and two conference finals games total, I would have said, wow, I don't believe that. That's that's too much of a disappointment. That's that, that's that's unreasonable. And, and yet that's that's what's happened. Very, there's no, it's a huge disappointment. It's a massive disappointment, massive disappointment. I I do think it's worth at least noting that this franchise, yes, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin helped, helped elevate it a little bit. They were on national TV all the time. Lob City, dunking over Kias. Also falling apart against the Rockets, never making the conference finals ever. They finally made the conference finals. That's something. And to your point, I do think getting those guys in their primes to choose the Clippers, not we, this guy had to come here because he was the number one pick in the draft. And then he had to go to Donald Sterling's white party. And it was like cringy and awkward and horrible. Not, um, not we traded for Chris Paul, but you know, he was happy to come to the West coast. I'm sure, but traded him traded from the Pelicans or the Hornets or whatever the hell they were at the time. After the Lakers thing was quote unquote vetoed by the league, that they chose it combined with Balmer, combined with what's going to be, I, I mean, I don't want to blow it up. It's just an arena. I don't care about it that much, but it is going to be an incredible state of the art arena. The Clippers, the curse isn't over. I think moving to a new arena is important for them. They need to get out of this arena, get a fresh start. Something is wrong with them at crypto.com. But I do think the image of them has changed forever. I don't want to talk about the Clippers anymore. That's my own. That's my only. It hasn't yeah, worked. I'm with you. But it's but it's something good has happened. What the hell were we talking about? <laughs> Short term versus long term planning, uh, urgency, all in, all the time stuff. Uh, I I will say, mentioning those four gigantic salaries that the Celtics now have with Holiday, Porzingis, and the Jays. And by the way, Derek White's extension eligible, and he's very very good. Also, by the way, I'm not sure the Celtics know who their starting five is going to be. And maybe, maybe, I don't think it's I don't think it's out of out of the possible outcomes that they flip flop depending on matchups all all season and try to kind of build that into their team. I don't know if teams like 
set starting fives for me. That's not going to happen. I did have a little brainwave. It could be a stupid brainwave because I'm. I often have very stupid brainwaves, as my wife will tell you. That maybe Drew and extending Drew is is a, at least a little bit of hedge, a little bit of cushion. If you get to the end of the season and you're like, we got to start exploring the Jalen Brown trade market a little bit. At least you have another perimeter player in the door. And then the other brainwave countering that was, well, Perzingis' deal isn't very long. Like you could just, you could ride out this salary bunch, this salary crunch, if you really need to, without feeling like I need to make any kind of trade. I didn't want to bring up the Jalen Brown thing, so I'm glad you did because then I could just blame you if people get mad. Um, there, I mean, there's been you've heard it too, I'm sure, the murmurings of the last couple of years. Like that, that, and and some of this is not even just murmurings; it's it's things that Jalen Brown has said, where he sometimes sounds a little noncommittal or a little lukewarm on Boston in general. Um, he has said some things, and there have been murmurings around the league for the last couple of years about does he really want to be there long term? Does he want to be somewhere where he's more of a primary option. Um, I, I, I don't want to go too far with that stuff. Like it, there's, there's every reason in the world to believe that the Celtics should want to keep it together and that Jalen Brown should want to stay there. But as we've seen <laughs> over and over and over and more frequently than ever, uh, things change very quickly in this league. And sometimes it's because players have their own ideas about what's best for their careers as they have the right to. And um, we see uh, as I, Wrote about this morning. Quick plug. Uh, go to the ringer.com. We're going to um, you don't have to plug it. I'm about to plug it. Don't pre plug my plug. <laughs> I've preempted the plug. But no, there's, there's, you know, stars are asking out all the time. So if you're the Celtics, I, I think one piece of this is planning for, again, the all in all the time also applies to if you believe, as some people around the league believe, that Jalen Brown might not be there long term. Go get that championship now. If you have any chance of it, of it being this season, next season, whatever, do it while you still have this core together and those two guys together because you never know when the next thing is happening, whether it's a trade request, whether it's an injury, whether it's whatever it may be. So uh, I, 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 I just, there's something in the back of their minds there too, probably, um, and, and how to build a roster that's sustainable, even if Jalen Brown were to go at some point. And obviously you're getting, you know, unknown stuff back for him. And now we're, you know, we're, we're way out of our skis. I want to go back and revisit the deal that did not happen with Miami. Um, the first deal that did not happen with Miami, the Dame deal. Um, because I don't remember. I don't remember a, a, a stridency an anger, um, and a general sort of uh, media commentary that sounds or feels like what happened to the Heat, quote-unquote, what happened to the Heat. How did they end up not even getting really in the game by the end for Damian Lillard? Were the Heat in the wrong? Were the Blazers in the wrong? You know, Chris Haynes had this story for Bleacher Report where he talks about not only did the Blazers cut the heat out, they cut Dame and his agent out, Aaron Goodwin, by the end, refusing to even keep in touch with arguably the greatest player in the history of the franchise and his agent. I think out of fear that if they got wind of anything, they would try to poison the well. If they got wind of anything that wasn't Miami, they would try to poison the well. And you have Dame going on record. Because they Chris already Haynes. did <laughs> earlier we'll this get summer. There. We have Dame going on record with Chris Haynes saying he's disappointed 
by the way his tenure with the Blazers ended. Going on record saying Joe Cronin, the GM of the Blazers, snubbed him when he went back into the Blazers practice facility. Snubbed. Snubs. I love a good snub. I actually respect if somebody snubs me. I don't I, I have a I have a respect for a good snub. I've been but snubbed a few times. But wouldn't talk to him when he went into the Blazers practice facility in an attempt to stay in condition, see his new team, and maybe float the idea of, hey, if not Miami, can I come back here? And he was told, no, there is no going back. Uh, and, and I think the reaction that a lot of people had to the Chris Haynes story was, boy, the Blazers, what, a, what, a, what an unfair way to treat Damian Lillard on the way out. Um, and then you have the other side of the story, not the other side, but another brand, another tentacle of the story, which is what you wrote for the ringer today. And I will sort of, um, I think this is all really interesting. I think you can point to every party in this marriage that never happened as somewhat at fault is the wrong word because maybe it was destined to never happen because Joe Cronin went out and just got a straight up better deal that is still going. Um, but I think it's fascinating to sort of just read the wreckage of this, much of which has been made public in a way that I don't really remember ever happening before and sort of think about, wait a second, did the Blazers owe Damian Lillard anything? Did, did Damian Lillard owe the Blazers anything? Did anyone do anything quote-unquote wrong here? You wrote a story touching on this today. I will cede you the floor because this is a topic you have investigated um, at some length. When the trade happened last week, Zach, and thank you for the plug that I preempted, um, when this trade happened last week and I was kind of trying to think you know, about the, the broader scope of this, like what does it mean that we have this shocker? We all of a sudden see, oh my gosh, Dame is going to Milwaukee. Milwaukee, we hadn't men- heard men- Milwaukee barely mentioned at all over the course of of months. And it, and I'm sure you heard as I did, like a lot of people around the league for the last couple of months have felt that no matter how long this dragged out, inevitably, inevitably, Dame Lillard was going to end up in Miami because he wanted to be there, because Miami uh, wanted him, because other teams were going to be scared of, of trading for a player who might be disenchanted or not interested in playing there, never mind that he had four years left on his deal. So it was it was viewed as an inevitability. So what what does it mean that they sent him to Milwaukee? And so one aspect of this, and it was just a hunch. I started making calls and, and a lot of people had this, this same read of it. There's a little bit of a pushback going on here in this era of superstar empowerment. Now that term means, or player empowerment, that term means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but where it regards players deciding where they're going at all times, not just in free agency anymore, but through requested trades, demanded trades, forced trades, Trades where they're now listing just one team. I only want to go to Miami, Dame Lillard. I only want to go to Miami or uh, to uh, L.A., James Harden. That you had these twin standoffs. And in both cases, the Sixers said, no, we're not sending you to the Clippers just because you want to go there because we don't like what they're, they're, they're offering us. It's not out of spite. It's like we got to do what's best for us. And Daryl Morey and Joe Cronin both had similar statements back in July about doing what was best for their teams. That's their job. So a lot of the, I just, I found it really interesting over the last couple of months, Zach, a lot of the sanctimony going on in various quarters about what Dame Lillard was owed, what anybody was owed, what these teams should do on behalf of these players. The job 
is to take care of your franchise. You have an, an, an owner, a team owner, a governor to answer to. You have fans to answer to and a city to answer to. Like, there is a platonic ideal here that has gotten, I feel like, lost in these situations where even if you want to go back to, there's a couple versions of this, right? Um, when Paul George wanted out of Indiana, he had a year left. And so this was the courtesy type call of, uh, of, of version of the, the trade request. Hey, Pacers management. Um, hi, Paul George, your star here. Uh, I don't think I want to stay. In fact, I really want to go to LA. The whole league knows it. The whole league has known it for years by this point. And I've got a year left. Trade me now before you lose me for nothing. It benefits everybody to trade him. They got a good deal. They sent him to OKC for Oladipo and Sabonis. That, that is a deal that works out for everyone. By the way, quick footnote, Paul George did not get to the place he wanted to go. He wanted to go to LA. He ended up in Oklahoma and, and for a time was absolutely happy there. Um, but it was a trade that worked for, for, for both parties there. The Kyrie uh, version of this, he's, he wants to leave Cleveland and he's got two years left. So now we're escalating. That's one year left, two years left. He's not a walk away free agent. There's no threat of losing him. But he left, he gave them like, what was it? Three, four, five teams. He didn't get to any of them. He, he ended up in Boston. Um, but there are versions of this where also, you know, the player has, has, has here's a list, uh, and it gives the team some flexibility. It gives the team the ability to create a competitive market where they can benefit while also getting the players somewhere they want to go. That's the win-win that you're trying to go for here. And in the Dame Lillard situation, and to the extent the James Harden situation so far, the players and their representation have put the teams in a, in a position where they cannot win. You have hamstrung the market. You have, you have killed the Blazers' ability to create competitive bids in which case they're it's in their be- to their benefit to just wait and not make the deal that you wanted them to make because they're going to take a lesser package. And people could argue what they want about whether Tyler Hero and a bunch of picks and swaps or whatever was a good package. I, I don't care about that comparison. Joe Cronin and the Blazers are the ones who have to decide whether or not it's good enough. And it clearly was not good enough. I've met, I've met Joe Cronin once, by the way. I don't know him at all. Um, but I have to say... The, the guy's been absolutely vindicated by the way he handled this. Now, if you want to say that a lot of the ways he's handled dealing with Dame and his representation uh, might might be less than ideal, that, I think that's fine. I don't need to get into all that. I don't, I, again, I'm not sure I really care about the interpersonal relationships. As a GM, he's been vindicated. In, in terms of the handling, a very difficult situation. You're a, you're a new, uh, you're a new GM-ish, new-ish still, it's very hard to get value for a superstar in the first place, and let alone a 33-year-old superstar with a massive contract. He's a franchise legend. It's hard to trade him anyway just because of all the other things that go with that, with your fan base. It's a hard decision to make, and it's hard to get value, and he has done a phenomenal job. And it's and as we've talked about, it's, he's not done yet. Brogdon and or Robert Williams III could be spun into yet more assets. Um I will just quick footnote in, in making all those calls over the last several days for the story I did uh, that ran today. Um, I was saying to someone, you know, listen, the, the Blazers have responsibility here because I, as you know, because I think we talked about it on your pod last season, I hated the way that the Blazers had handled the Dame situation in that they never picked a road. Either be all in on Dame and trade all the young guys and draft capital and build a contender around Dame. That is a defensible position and one that that was available to them or if that's not the position then trade Damian Lillard 
And they never did either one. They straddled the fence. And I, I, I made some, uh, some, some awful uh, analogies at the time that made you cringe. Um, and I didn't like that, that approach. And when I was mentioning some version of this a few days ago to a, to a, a team executive from another team, he said, listen, you're reading this wrong because maybe this is what they were intending to do all along. It, it's kind of a passive aggressive way of getting Dame to ask out so that you don't have to be the one to proactively trade him. And I don't know if that's the case or not, but that's a theory that's out there. That's a plausible one. And given the way that things played out, it, it you know, there's seems to be some substance to uh, support that. In any case, Portland did what they had to do. You're supposed to do what's best for your franchise first. If it also benefits the player, great. And, and guess what? It does benefit the player. They, this idea that I'm not going to, I don't want to call out anybody by name, that this is a spite trade. A spite trade would have been sending him to like Detroit or Charlotte, somewhere where there's no hope in the immediate term to contend. They well, sent him to one te- of the those best teams, teams, those teams in the league. Were, those teams were never going to bid on Damian Lillard. Teams of, of course, that nature were never right, going to bid. But a, but a spite trade would be sending him not only somewhere where he didn't want to go, but where he'd be dead in the water. And again, to your point, yeah, why would a dead in the water team trade for him? I'm just saying, like, when you send him to a team that just won a championship a couple of years ago and that has one of the, uh, whatever, two best players in the game, uh, a two-time MVP in his prime, uh, that's not, where's the spite? You've put him, in a, put him in a position to do exactly what he's wanted to do, which is to win a championship, which is why he asked out in the first place, because you could not get him there. I wrote, um, I don't know when, in July sometime about how the Blazers got here with Damian Lillard. Because all the focus at that point had been on not trading the third pick in the draft, basically. Um, not trading the pick that became Shade and Sharp. Two straight years, you tank the end of the season. You don't yeah. trade either pick for veteran help. Yeah, Those decisions contributed. I think Dame was clearly not psyched Absolutely. about it. Um, yeah. I, and I do think Joe Cronin erred in the sense of talking so aggressively on the record in front of reporters about how they were all in to win with Dame. And the the actions, although we'll never know what happened behind the scenes, there was never anything that became actionable to the degree that it matched the urgency and the, the declarative nature of those words. That Agreed. said, I never heard one trade for the number three pick that made sense for Portland or that was actionable and made sense for Portland. Their franchise changed when they moved up, I believe two spots in the lottery or four spots, whatever it was. I think it was five to three. It might've been seven to three. I don't remember. I was in the room and I don't freaking remember. Um, (laughs) That changed everything from the opportunity to select Scoot Henderson, knowing Charlotte was likely going to take Brandon Miller ahead of you and let Scoot slide. Change everything. Were they really lost Damian Lillard? I think... If you, if you boiled it down to two things, number one, if you look back at the 2017 draft when they had a bunch of chances in the first round and came up with Zach Collins and I believe Caleb Swanigan um, and, and made a whole big trade, I, I, may, I may be getting it wrong, but it's Zach Collins at the top. They traded two firsts to get up to Zach Collins and that didn't work. That was a big shot for them. And just I just all along thought they clung a little too preciously to C.J. McCollum. I think they probably it probably would have behooved them to be more, and this is the prior regime, Neil Olshay's regime, to look aggressively at the peak of his value. What can we get here 
that is a better match for Damian Lillard. We don't need to go on the Aaron Gordon what ifs. That was always the famous, the favorite fake trade. How they lost Dame was less in the last year to me and more in the prior half decade of decision making. Um, I think a lot of the reaction to the Haynes piece was, boy, does Joe Cronin look bad. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Sure. I didn't come away from that. I, I don't think anybody came out of any of this looking great. And like I said, I don't think the declarative words about going all in for Dame served the Blazers or Joe Cronin well. I don't think snubbing Dame in the practice facility, if that's indeed what happened, and we have not heard any counter to that. It's one thing to cut them out of the trade talks. It's another thing to in-person just straight up ignore the guy. Yeah, I don't think that is great personal um, whatever. Yeah, But um, in that same story, Aaron Goodwin, Dame's agent, goes on the record and says, I wanted everyone to understand that even though we didn't have a no-trade clause, a provision that's not afforded to Dame under the CBA, I was going to do everything in my power to control the market and help get my client to a place he wanted to be. That is an agent going on the record for the second time, the first time in the aftermath, saying, yeah, I tried to the Blazers. I wanted my client to only go to one place and one place only, and I wanted to screw up their leverage. You don't get to do that. You're within your rights to do that. Great. Clutch did it with Anthony Davis. Got him to the Lakers. That's fine. That's part of the agent playbook. You don't get to do it and then play the victim on the other end of it because the team wouldn't take you back in the end. You especially don't get to do that if the team that won't take you back has already signed you to a gigantic contract extension paying you into your mid paying you the max possible into your age 37 or what season i'm not saying like there's any villain here i'm just saying i see bits of regrettable stuff all around but question but what you should do is what you said in your story here's a list of teams Here's a list of teams we'd be happy to go. That's what that's what Drew Holiday did. Here's a list of teams we'd be happy to go to. And by the way, he ended up at one where he has his best chance to win the championship that he ever has had in his career. And I don't think it's even close. Not even close. The other way you could have done this, by the way, if we're you know second guessing a lot of the things that, that happened over the last couple of months, even if your true position was Miami or bust, you could still go to the Blazers and say, listen, we want Miami. Here are the other teams that would potentially be acceptable. Um, Deal with them all, but the goal should be Miami. But give Portland quietly the list or quietly the ultimatum that it should be Miami or bust, but let Portland at least create the illusion of a competitive market if you are the only ones who know it's Miami or bust. Because then at least you're going to get maximum extraction of of assets from And And by the way, to your point... Goodwin handicapped them. To your point, despite all the stuff I just said about trying to poison the market or whatever terminology you want to use. I still think if I were running the Blazers, I would have engaged Miami anyway. I, I sure. And I think to me, it's okay for Dame's camp to be mad. Like you're seriously not even going to call him. Like you're seriously not even at the last minute just to see like, what is the landscape for Tyler hero? Maybe the heat know more than we do. Are you willing to throw in everything Literally everything possible from Caleb Martin to every pick to every young guy to Jaquez to whatever. You're really just not even going to make the call. 
I I think it's okay to be mad at that too. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a there's a version of this you had texted me a couple of days ago when we were talking about doing the pod about was anybody wrong here? Um, in the in the broadest strokes, no. Um, because Joe Cronin and the Blazers did what was best for them. That's what they're supposed to do. Aaron Goodwin did what was best for Dame, at least as he saw it. Could we quibble with how Cronin or Goodwin or anybody else handled various chapters of this and strategy? We could quibble over all of that. But in the end, the agent and the player is supposed to do what's in their best interest. The team is supposed to do what's in its best interest. The Heat do what's in their best interest. That's the way it works. Um, it's a business. That's what we hear all the time. That's what players always say if they leave for more money or for whatever reason. And it's, it's for the teams, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a business. And sometimes it's cold hearted and sometimes, uh, feelings get hurt. And sometimes, uh, people make some, I think, regrettable decisions. And clearly several people did, I think, along the way here, nothing was perfect, but in the end, the Blazers got the best package that they could for Dame. And that's, that's what they're supposed to do. And Dame ended up in a place where he's got a better chance at a title than he's ever had in his 11-year career. He's still a, a coming out fantastically in all of this. I really don't think anybody, when everything settles down and emotions are, are, are calmed, I don't think anybody should be really all that mad about the way this ended, unless you are the Miami Heat, because uh, they're in a really rough spot right now. I think but there's again, a team- no, no one owed them any, anything, so... I think if there's a team that's not mad, just just a little like mad at the world in certain in terms of just like really, the Bucks have to be like really Boston. Boston got Drew Holiday after all this. <laughs> we gotta play this guy in the Eastern Conference playoffs potentially. Really, Boston. If there's 28 other teams, it had to be Boston. Well, it's Boston. Um, a couple other quick things, and then you can take it where you want for the last few minutes. Uh. A lot of people, including me, had mentioned Sacramento as an interesting theoretical fit for Drew Holiday, despite, as I said last week, Harrison Barnes is untradeable till January 15th or whatever it is. All the players who sign new contracts can't be traded immediately. Um, I don't think they ever even got anywhere. Interestingly, I don't sense that the Warriors ever really entertained this in in a really serious way. Um, People thought the Chris Paul for Drew Holiday (coughs) swap made some sense for the Warriors. I mean, Drew Holiday is just better than Chris Paul, and, and the Warriors have some young players and future assets to trade. I, I do think that trade would have made some sense. I, I'm a little curious about, you know, why why it doesn't appear to have gotten anywhere. Maybe part of it was the optics of, like, we just went through this whole um, public show of we're super excited to have Chris Paul. You know, maybe we'll start him. Maybe we won't. We love what he brings to our team. And then to do that and turn around and be like, all right, see you later, Chris Paul. Go play for, what is it, the, the Blazers? And then probably get waived and then signs. Uh, who knows? Um, it would have been undignified for Chris Paul, frankly, a player of his stature. So that that's interesting. And but we haven't said his name yet. And it, we should say his name every time we talk about all the tentacles out of this stuff. The Drew Holiday stuff, the James Harden stuff. And they're all connected. We haven't said Joel Embiid's name other than laughing at his tweet. I mean, I don't want to make light of it. This is what's at stake for the Sixers. Like we can focus on Harden and the Clippers and what picks the Sixers would like from the Clippers and Harden not showing up for media day and how much of a distraction is he going to be? Are we going to see like loafing James Harden like we did in his last days with the Rockets and the Nets where he's just throwing behind the back passes across the court just to see what happens. Um, And it's, it's all kind of entertaining 
underneath it all is the MVP is sitting there being like, what in the hell is happening to my team? Like, yeah, Tyrese Maxey's awesome. We have some great support pieces that worked last year that got us a 3-2 lead in the round that we never can seem to get over against a team that we can never seem to get over. I mean, it's just been a lot for Joel Embiid. Since the day he got to Philadelphia, it's been a lot. And I've gone through it. I don't want to go through it again. It, it I just feel the need to sort of mention, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of a big deal if Joel Embiid's team comes out of this two steps behind everybody else with a, a, an uncertain future. Yeah, and because, alluding back to my, my story again, like, this is the era where guys ask out routinely, right? It, it feels like there's at least one or two per year of, of stars uh, forcing trades, asking out. And, you know, people have been kind of, you know, keeping an eye on the Embiid situation. They were keeping an eye on Giannis, too. This is the second time that people were all keeping an eye on Giannis and then only to be disappointed while while secretly plotting to steal him. Um, the first time they got Drew Holiday, the second time they traded Drew Holiday to get Dame. And you you assume that, that Giannis is probably not going to be the next one to ask out. But Embiid, all attention is there now because of the obvious. I don't, we don't need to state it. Um, the Sixers for the last couple of months have had this kind of, you know, I, I, I don't know if confidence is, is the best term, but maybe confidence that they're going to figure this out, that it, either they're going to get star power back for Harden or they're going to get stuff for Harden that they can then turn into another star. Or if all else fails, Tyrese Maxey makes another step. They get through this season. They, they figure out what to do. I mean, whatever they get for Harden, whatever they do with Harden, they get through this season. They're competitive still. Joel Embiid sp- supposedly is still playing it cool. He's fine. Not not agitating yet. Um, being patient. And that if they at least have a solid season and then, you know, they have projected cap room next summer. Now, they could they could use that before then by by trading some of their expirings in the course of this, tr- this season. If there's anything we know about Daryl Morey, from Philly and Houston, he is not shy about making trades. He is not shy about making in-season trades. He's not shy about doing anything at any time. They have opportunities between now and the trade deadline. They have opportunities next summer, potentially. And if they fail on all those fronts, if the season goes down the tubes, and then they also strike out next summer, whether that's free agency, whether that's sign-in trades, whether it's straight trades, whatever, then the alarm bells are going off, right? Everybody else is already all in on playing trade machine games with Joel Embiid and it's understandable but it's also I would say just slightly premature he like the like this is not like the DEFCONs it's one is the worst one right we're not at DEFCON one yet we're at like 3.5 or something like they're on the clock but there's time yet for them to figure this out we'll see what happens with Harden I mean look he could be subject to fines we saw they just played this movie with Ben Simmons, a different version of it. And, and, you know, it's interesting he's not at media day because I keep saying it. There is this clause in the CBA that allows the Sixers to block James Harden from entering free agency if he does not report to their team for 30. If he withholds services, Bobby Marks is on it, too, um, for 30 days or something like that. And I'm not sure exactly when the clock starts, but it kind of seems like it should start when the team gathers for mandatory <laughs> training camp. Wait, wait, can uh, this be like the thing with three seconds of the paint where you go in for two point? Shaq used to make this joke. Oh, I'm going to win for 2.9 and then I step out because he claimed he never made a three second violation. Oh, for 2.9, then I'm out and then I go back in. Can James Harden go like report for 29 days or excuse me, uh, hold out 29 days, report on the 30th day and then disappear for another 29? Look, I don't know. And I, <laughs> I don't know that anyone has really tested this out before. 
Um, but you can so. go find you can the CBA is public. It's on the players union's website. You can go control F withholding services and <laughs> you'll find it and it's there. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think Tyrese Maxey is going to make another leap. I like the players on their team. I think they have a good team. Um, and if Tyrese Maxey makes enough of a leap, maybe you're okay. If James Harden becomes a couple of useful rotation players who fit around yeah. Joel Embiid and a draft pick you can use to get other stuff down the line. Maybe that's what, ends up being an acceptable outcome for you. James Harden was an all-NBA level player last year. He was on my personal 12-man all-star team. He was awesome. He did exactly um, what the Sixers hoped he would do. And exactly, you know, and, and even I think in the two playoff games against Boston that he won almost by himself, two of the greatest playoff performances of his career, you know, sandwiched around a bunch of bad James Harden playoff games, but he did everything you could have asked. And they, they, the talent is the talent and it hurts. If a talent like that goes out the door for lesser talent, um, that's now the situation to monitor. I have no idea how the hell it's good. God knows how that's going to roll. I, I, it's already had four plot twists. I didn't see coming chief among them, James Harden going on stage in China and calling Daryl Morey a liar twice and saying he'd never play for his team again. What a wild, what a wild league. What have we not covered that you wanted to get to, Howard? Howard Beck of TheRinger.com and The Ringer <laughs> Podcast Network, available on Spotify. Uh, yes. Um, what have we not covered? You know what's interesting? Um, as as we're, you know, we're, we are obviously uh, uh, distracted, understandably, rationally distracted by all the pyrotechnics of the last week. Um there's a couple things that I'm still so I'm going over as soon as you and I finish this up. I'm going to wander over to see the Nets uh, media day and, and just see what they're yammering about over there. Um, I'm I'm kind of intrigued by like uh, you know the, the next tier down of teams. I'm I'm intrigued by what the Nets do because they were a team I thought could have gotten in on Dame. Didn't ever seem to be that aggressive about it. Um, Dame had talked about wanting to play with Mikhail Bridges. One of his I guys. never saw I never saw a deal that made any sense there. How are you I, How are you yeah. trading Dame to the Nets without getting Mikhail Bridges? Well, that's yeah, right. And if and if you're if you're keeping Bridges, then all the other useful players are going out. Like it was going to be difficult unless ben, unless the unless the Blazers were interested in Ben Simmons, um, and Ben Simmons and then picks because the, the the Nets have a bazillion picks thanks to the, to the Suns in part. Um, but they are sitting on a pile of assets, the Nets, a, a lot of those picks, and just a lot of of players. Um, period, and like. Ben Simmons for the umpteenth consecutive summer is, has posted a lot of videos and talked a lot about how he's coming back in the best shape of his life. And he's going to be Ben Simmons again. And we'll see. Uh, I hope he is. I don't mean to be too snarky about it, but like, you know, sometimes we see this over and over with players and, and it doesn't happen. I hope he gets there. Uh, he was an amazing player and, and he still may be, but Ben Simmons, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Claxton, Dorian Finney Smith. How good is that? I, I, I have no idea. And how long is Sean Marks going to sit on a group that is good but not great before they start packing? So I'm curious about that. The other thing that's hit me several times over the course of the summer, you know, we went from the West being kind of meh to the West now being, I don't know what it is. Like, you know, Denver's the defending champs and clear favorites in the West. Phoenix has a, a the, the, the image of a super team, though I, I'm still not entirely sold on, on the Suns, but like the Warriors are better. People, the are, Lakers too, are, people better. are too, people are too low on the Suns. I know Suns we're probably overthinking awesome. it. Um, so Warriors, Lakers, uh, the, 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 uh, the concept oh, the, of the wait, Clippers. Wait a second. Wait a second. Draymond Green's out four to six weeks. Oh, know, we should yeah. mention that. 
brutal. Ankle sprain. I mean, like it's easy to dismiss that yeah. because the short end of that timeline is basically he misses a few regular season games. It's not a great start for a team that, you know, I, what it is actually, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I've, we should talk about that for two minutes. What it yeah. could actually be silver linings wise is a chance for Kaminga and Moody, particularly Kaminga, to really earn Steve Kerr's trust because they're going to need those dudes to do something to get where they want to go. But look, if it's six weeks, it becomes like an almost non-trivial amount of games for a conference that top to bottom does not allow for a great deal of margin for error. There's there's not like... We don't. This is not the era of super teams anymore, and this is not like several years ago where you had made or, or even twenty years ago sometimes where you had three, four, five teams who were all just uh, stacked. Or twenty thirteen, fourteen, whenever it was when like the Suns missed the playoffs with forty eight wins. It's not that, but we have a lot of really, really good teams, right? And you know the Pelicans, if healthy, there's a lot of if healthy asterisks uh, along the way here. But the, the Pelicans should be on their way up, and the, the Timberwolves could be on their way up, and the Mavericks have kind of refortified and get a full season with Kyrie and Luca together, and they sign Grant Williams, and the Thunder are everybody's darlings uh, now, justifiably, and so there's just a lot of of depth there. Um, by the way, quick thing on on the Warriors. The other thing is, does does this momentarily solve the is Chris Paul starting or coming off the like you could just well Draymond's out, so just go with the three guard lineup. Uh, Clay is it now at the three, and Wiggins is at the four, and Looney's uh, playing center. Does that Probably. solve for the moment? Probably, yeah. So that there's another one where it's it's like that gives you the uh, gets you off the hook in the short term. Um, but the reason I've been kicking all that around is, I think the top teams in the West in some order after Denver. Phoenix, Golden State, Lakers, Clippers, that's five teams. And I haven't mentioned the two teams that were the second and third best teams in the conference. And so here were these, these, these wonderful breakthrough seasons for the Kings and the Grizzlies. And are, where, where are they now in this, in this kind of quickly realigning pecking order? And then on top of that, between the other teams I mentioned, especially the Pelicans, Wolves, and Mavericks, who all for various reasons I think are on the clock in different ways, by the way, Luca is another one of those guys who we're going to, if things don't go well, we're going to start talking about when's Luca asking out because this is the era we're in. Um, like uh, several teams are going to be disappointed in the West. Um, the, 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 like the Mavericks are not a lock for the playoffs. They may be in play in range and then maybe they make the playoffs from there. But the, the, the lock teams are the top six these days because the play in. The, the Mavs are by, to me, not a lock there. Um, those those kind on, of statements on, sound controversial. They're not. They're not even slightly controversial. That's what no. the way. But you mentioned your personal top or whatever top five of Denver, Phoenix, Lakers, Clippers, Warriors. I guarantee you, guaranteed, at least one of those teams, due to injuries, <laughs> chaos, yeah. something, yep. is going yep. to have a disappointing season. I think Sacramento is going to be really NBA. good. I think Sacramento's. I'm just doing yeah. quick hit. Sacramento's going to be really good. Memphis, I think, will also be really good. They need to survive the jaw absence. Minnesota is my sleeper team. I'm not saying sleeper to like win the West. I think Minnesota gets kind of like shoved aside in these discussions, and like people start listing teams, and they get to like nine teams, and they say, "Oh, I forgot about the Wolves." Anthony Edwards made a big leap. I think the Wolves are going to be good, like really pr- pretty solidly good. Um, I randomly. The producers of NBA Today last week were like, could you have a hot take on the in-season tournament? We're going to do hot takes on the in-season tournament. It's like, dude, I don't even remember like who's in what group, how, what the winner of group F plays, the winner of group G, whatever it is. I looked at the group. 
Minnesota is my pick to win the in-season tournament. I like their group. <laughs> They're going to win their group. I think Minnesota is winning You're- the inaugural in-season tournament. How's that for a hot take? I don't even know how they. I don't even know how it works. I don't even know if they win their group. Who do they play? I have no freaking uh, idea. They're my pick. Uh, please, uh, new uh, colleagues over at the Ringer, do not ask me at any point between now and the end of the mid and the end season tournament uh, what my pick to win the. I, I've, I, I will not. I will not care enough to process whether anybody's winning. I don't know. Everybody wins. It's an in season tournament. We all we're all winners because the regular season will 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 be more meaningful. That's what the league has told us, and I'll just go along with it for now. All right, Howard Beck, get over to Brooklyn Media. I don't want to keep you. you you've, un- you've unleashed a lot of information on the Low Post podcast today. The world is happy to have you at the Ringer. I can't wait to hear you on the airwaves there, in addition to your writing, which is up for its debut piece at the Ringer today about the Damian Lillard trade and non-trade. Howard Beck, I will see you at Madison Square Garden, Barclays Center, somewhere soon. By the way, Barclays Center... I, the Lowe family was at the Liberty Suns game one, Liberty Sun, sorry, game one of the semifinals, hoping to be at uh, game three of the WNBA finals. Awesome atmosphere there. And uh, congrats to those two teams. The Liberty and the Aces should be a great series. Howard Beck, everybody. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate you.